Do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality? How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and Spindlecraft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com and at the checkout, enter the word GEEKS. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down. Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast, the flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast, hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11, covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. All right, Sarah, so we are in the spoiler section here. We're going to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody now. We can actually get into the spoilers. We can discuss the things we really liked about this movie, the things we didn't like about this movie, the things that we felt like could have been improved on. So Nitty-gritty details. All the nitty-gritty detail, details. Uh, so let me, let's me let talk about the things we really like. So obviously we should probably talk about Rami Malek first and his performance as Freddie Mercury in this movie. Uh, we talked a little bit about it in the non-spoiler section, but what is it about his performance that really affected you? What what is it about? Is it the mannerism? What's what's the quality of the performance that managed to just make you feel so much emotion? Man, it's just it's it, it's a combination of everything he's embodying, like. Yeah, from the second we see him, we see the hip swagger. That's immediately off the. <laughs> yeah. That's the first thing I know. It is like, okay, he got that right down, and you know they didn't try and pretty him up. You know they kept the teeth thing in, which I thought was brilliant because he already has, you know that, um, you know, what do you call it? But just like his teeth stick out of it, he already has that. So why change that? Because Freddie Mercury did. Like why? pretty enough so i thought that was a good choice and also just his like his speech he has a slight accent that was very similar to freddie's uh i think his facial mannerisms the way he tries to hide the teeth but you always see them sticking out a little was you know very iconic Mm -hmm. and just the way he moved around stage it was like i don't know how long he had to practice that but it was damn good yeah he, he was great um, I imagine that he spent many hours watching, you know, all kinds of, I mean, 
look, Queen, uh, the surviving members, uh, besides John Deacon, John Deacon uh, wasn't involved in this at all. In fact, uh, I didn't know this until today. I read up a little bit on John Deacon. He's basically been a recluse since the really? band, since Freddie died. Um, I want to say a recluse. I mean, he's just, he's very seldom um, been any of the Queen functions. As far as I know, he's done three things since Freddie died. One was the tribute concert uh, some months after Freddie died. And then I think a year after that, he he did something. And then I think the last thing he did was like 1999, maybe. Um, he wasn't even, he didn't even come on stage for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when they were uh, inducted in 2001, I, th- I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, He's yeah, he's not really involved. But what was I saying? Oh, so you know, I think that Rami Malik probably watched a ton of footage. And given that the band members, the surviving band members, are involved in this, they have access to everything. And I'm sure they kept so much. I mean, there's probably so much stuff, so much vintage fo- uh, footage of Freddie, um, probably behind the scenes. Um, oh, yeah. You know. Uh, there's a lot of audio files that no one has. I, I just I think he had access to everything he would ever want in terms of trying to recreate Freddie as much as he can. And it's those details that make the difference in this movie. And like I said earlier, you can just be very basic in trying to to replicate the mannerisms and speech pattern and everything of a, of a different person. But the actors that manage to pull it off and make it feel like you are Freddie Mercury, that requires a lot of hard work. And it's the details. It's the little things. It's the body language. It's the way you talk. It's the posture. It, there's so many things that play into a really great performance like this. And I feel like he nailed all of them. And that includes the onstage uh, recreation of the tour when they're out on tour and we see them on stage and he's strutting around on stage and just, just being Freddie Mercury. That's really all. all (laughs) That's it. Amazing. It really is. Um, Down to like his jaw. Like I've seen him in other things mm -hmm. and yeah, his facial structure looks relatively normal, but like I don't know how he did. He had to be like just always tilting his head out a little bit to get like the right angle of his jaw to make it look longer and to like you know exemplify like his I think, features. Like you know, I think he pushes his jaw forward and kind to. of like almost slightly puckers up his his whole lip, his lips, his face uh, a bit. It's, it's to try to push it out to kind of help. And I'm sure he's got, you know, fake teeth in and stuff, you know, to kind of help, you know, give the illusion of, you know, and he has to talk a certain way too mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, wigs, fake teeth, you know, clothes, the hair, all that. I mean, that's a given, but you've got to get the body language and the mannerisms down pat. And he freaking did. <laughs> yeah, he does a great job here. I really, I really felt like he, 
he managed to do a better job than I, I thought that he would do. I was hoping that it would be okay. And he did far better than that, in my opinion. Yeah. Beyond beyond any expectations I had. And I think everyone else did a good job too. I think all the be- uh, band oh, members, yeah. all the actors that played them, did, them did a fantastic job. That's it's not, you know, as, as big a deal as say Freddie, but you still have to nail those performances and you have to make it feel like these are the other band members, you know, because they are important. They're in a lot of the movie. You know, even if it's not focused on them and it's on Freddie, it's still a big deal. You have to make sure yeah. you get them right as well. Exactly. And even like Mary, she was, she did a really good job. Um, and his like, the lawyer and the band manager i mean they all looked fantastic and the acting was great it was weird seeing um littlefinger outside of game of thrones but (laughs) yeah it took me for a second i was like i I know him and for some reason i don't like him (laughs) why have you have you ever seen the movie sing street Uh -uh. it's on netflix i highly recommend it you'll see Aiden Gillen, uh, Gillen in there as well, Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a musical. It's uh, oh, you'd love it, Sarah. You would love it. It's it's on Netflix. It's um, uh, it's on your Netflix. I uh, doubt it's on mine. Well, you could check. If it's um, if it's on Netflix, I highly recommend it. You would love it. The girl, the actress that plays um, oh, what's her name? Um, Anne Penny. Uh, yeah. One of those, Anne or Penny? Uh, it's the only two girls I can see. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anne. Yeah. Kelly Thornton. No. Mary. Mary Austin. Um, Lucy Boynton plays uh, Mary Austin in, in this movie. And she's in Sing Street. Oh, yeah. So I, I she does a great job in this movie. She really does a great job. Uh, and she's, um, yeah, she's a good, she's a good actress. And, she, you know, when I saw her on String, uh, Sing Street, I was blown away by how good she is. So I definitely recommend checking her out uh, on Sing Street. But. Yeah, the performances are great. So let's get into the plot of this movie. Um, so this takes place roughly over 15 years. All right, It starts with about 1970 when Queen didn't exist yet. It was a band called Smile. Freddie was not the lead singer. It was uh, Brian May and um, Roger Taylor. And... Uh, they, they, you know, they had another lead singer who departed for a different band because they thought, you know, he thought they were going to be the big thing, not not Smile. And then, boom, you know, Freddie says, hey, it looks like you need a new, a new singer. And by the way, that didn't uh, really happen quite like that. And it took a little longer for him to become the lead singer of Queen. So there's a little bit of an inaccuracy there, but it's fine. It's uh, time saver. Time saver. And so... He joins the band, and then we begin to see the creative process, as well as the relationships between the, the band members and the relationship between Mary Austin and 
Freddie Mercury. So given the time frame that we're in, and it's not really any different today, but you know, think about back when this movie took place, early 70s, um, and Freddie is entranced in, in by, by Mary Austin. They, they quickly become a couple. They fall in love. And Freddie gives her a ring. He proposes to her. And she says yes. And then Queen gets this big tour in America. So he's on the road a lot. And then we begin to see him. His interest wandering. Right. He's suddenly uh, attracted to men. Um, and I think the movie handled it very well in the way that they showed him coming to terms with his sexuality and also how difficult it was for him, as I think it is for probably a lot of people. And especially when you consider the era that this movie was in, I mean, that, that was harder, I think back then than it maybe it is now. I'm not saying it's not, I'm not saying that it's not hard now because obviously everyone's experience is different. And for a lot of people, even today, it's extremely difficult. And I, and I understand that. But back in the seventies, I think it was probably even harder just because today, I think a lot more people are accepting of it as opposed to maybe back then when not as much. So it was probably just like, you didn't even hear about it too much. Like, you had a handful of people that you knew out in the industry, but in general, most people were not comfortable with letting people know their sexuality because because of the negative ramifications. Right, exactly. Uh, so then we see the band. We They, they begin putting out records. Um, they put out their first record, which was Killer Queen, big hit, and then they, the EMI wants a new record. They go out, they record Bohemian Rhapsody. And the manager play the manager of uh no well, not their manager, but I think it's the head of EMI. Anyway, yeah. He doesn't like Bohemian Rhapsody. He thinks it's crazy, it's six minutes long, nobody will ever play this thing. And it's he's played by Mike Myers. And good makeup too, because until I saw an interview of Mike Myers doing that, I'm like, I would have never guessed. Oh, really? Okay. Yep. So I couldn't tell. Yeah, it it was um well done. So anyway, we see uh, that he's wrong. Uh, it becomes a hit, and but the critics absolutely hated it. Like they showed oh, like yeah. all the quotes from magazines, Time Magazine, New Yorker, all that stuff. Well, I think it just goes to show that they, you know, critics aren't always right, and we're all critics in our own way. Sometimes movies get trashed and destroyed, and then ten years later, they're suddenly considered a classic. You know, yeah, it's like like this movie. I mean, critics don't like this movie very much, but the fan rating is like ninety five percent. So, I mean, that speaks volumes for itself. Right. Um. So, you know, here's the thing. The good the good things about this movie are that the acting I think is top-notch and I think the story in certain aspects of, you know, is affecting. Especially when it comes down to to Freddy. 
because one of the things that I really liked in this movie was, and I can understand why they wanted to focus in on him so much because he is such a dynamic character. Yeah. But when you see him struggling with, with fame, with the most difficult thing for him is, is being lonely and how he's got all this money. He's got this giant, you know, house and yet it's not enough for him. You know, he's, he's not with Mary at this point in time. Obviously they've, they've split up and he buys Mary a house right next to his because he needs her there. And one of the things that I I was talking to my wife when I got home and she said, well, you know, what did you learn? And I said, you know, I learned that Freddie was very dependent on other people and he kind of used them in a way because he was such a lonely person that he needed somebody right beside him. He needed somebody there that he could latch onto to try to be like a life preserver. Okay. And to the point of almost being cruel. Right. And I don't think it was ever in a malicious way. I think, you know, with Mary, he, he was very, I think, even though they weren't together in a romantic way, obviously, in every other respect, I think they were more or less a married couple. Right. Exactly. And whenever he even says that he wants everything from her, almost everything from her. Exactly. Exactly. And that must have been a struggle for her as well. I can't imagine that, that kind of pressure to more or less be someone's wife without ever really being their wife in a sexual way it was probably difficult, you know, yeah, for her. She wants, she deserves a life of her own and not to be somebody else's, you know, life preserver. Right. So uh, those aspects are handled, handled very well in this movie. And I, I liked how they shot, they showed Freddie, you know, eventually he starts getting into, you know, prescription drugs and different drugs like cocaine and, and all this stuff as a way of trying to fill that void for himself. But obviously that wasn't working. Um, I think the darker, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's definitely some funny lines in this movie. <laughs> there are also some lines in this movie that were very cringeworthy. There were some lines that were, they were meant to be almost a wink to the audience. You know, like, um, I mean, there's a, there's probably a good, I would say a good six or seven lines in this movie where I was like, ooh, boy, ah, oh, man, I, I really wouldn't have put that line in there. It, it was like, um, I'll give you an example. I mean, this is probably yeah. one of the, one of the, the, the tamest and one of the not, not one of the worst, but there was a, the line where, uh, he and Mary are, are laying down. And so he reaches up at the piano and he plays, the opening um, few chords to Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. on the piano, right? And she says something like, oh, it's very pretty. And he says, oh, yes, it has potential. Well, obviously, we know exactly. If you know the song, you know what's coming. Now, that's actually not too bad. But there's some other lines where I just felt like for people that knew Queen or no Queen, it was just like a, almost like a big like a wink to the audience, and uh, sometimes I just thought I didn't really. It doesn't have to be that on the nose, 
really didn't have to be that on the nose. You don't have like, to. Like, we, we know what's coming. Right. You know. don't want, like, they could have done it in a different way, you know, a little more subtle. Uh, you don't need to say it in that way, you know, for us to understand what you're getting at. You can be a little more subtle about, about your, the way you're kind of like saying like, oh, you know, in about a half an hour, you're going to see this come back. Okay. Um, you know, just some things that it lines the where they were more or less predicting their own future, mm-hmm. you know, like 10 years before they're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And it's like, yeah, right. Cause I know in like 10 years, you're going to be doing that. Okay. Like, I don't need you to reference things that are coming in, you know, in this movie down the line, um, in such a, uh, on the nose way. Um, so those were some lines I had an issue with. Um, were there any problems that you had with this movie in terms of the plot or specific elements of the plot that you didn't like? I had an issue with how the breakup between Freddie and Mary went down. Like she talks about how, um, I can't even be mad at you because it's not your fault. She's right about that. It's like, you you can't choose to be gay or, or straight or whatever, but he did cheat on her <laughs> that he has control over and that he should be taking fault for. And I don't know if this is true to Freddie and what actually perspired if he never, ever told her, but I feel like he should have been taking some responsibility for that. There should have been something written in there that was, you know, her at least getting upset and with him for cheating on her. <laughs> Cause that's a pretty big slap in the face. Right, I, I understand. Like you said, he can't help who he is, and he's not finally coming to terms with who he is. But at least up until that point, he was still technically in a relationship. So yeah, engaged, married, whatever. Right. So just to say, uh, well, you know, maybe I like guys, so it's okay. No, it's not okay. You know, you should have been honest. First with yourself and then with Mary, and then you could have done what you wanted. Yeah, he so. was just too scared to lose her. Yeah, and I think that that's something – like there's a scene um, right after Freddie gets that big house and Roger's there. He's like, uh, you know, Roger, you want to stay for dinner? I'll make this and this and this. And he's like, no, I got to go. And you can tell like he, he doesn't want to be there really. Yeah. Like he's there because Freddie wants him to come and see his new place, but – he doesn't really want to be there. He doesn't want to stick around and hang out with Freddie all day. Because I feel like, well, I feel like Freddie is someone that you can take in small doses. Yeah. Especially when they're latching on to you as, like I said, that life preserver. When he's in that mode, it's got to be such an overwhelming experience. Yeah, it's true. And when he's trying to be so dependent on you, you have to just, like you probably, he probably feels crappy for doing it, but you have to detach. Exactly. Yeah, you have to. let them use you. Yeah, exactly. So there was, um, you know, here's the thing about about this movie. Um, They get a lot of things right. They get a lot of things wrong. I mean, there's certain inaccuracies. And a lot of movies do this. It's, it's common, right? So I'm not, I'm not here to bash this movie for changing things or, condensing some events because it made for a better translation on screen. But like 
Take, for instance, Freddie's diagnosis with AIDS. Now, he may have been diagnosed before Live Aid, but in real life, if he even was, he certainly didn't tell the band until like 1987. But by all accounts, he didn't even he didn't get diagnosed until 1987. So, <clears throat> the idea in this movie that you know, he gets this diagnosis and then tells the band shortly before they go on stage, like a few weeks prior. That's crazy. It didn't happen. It, it never happened that way. Um, and I think the depiction of, of uh, uh, what's this called? Paul in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, I know a lot of people have problems with that because I guess there, he's made out to be a much bigger villain in this movie. In a way, he wasn't, I guess, in real life. At least, certainly not to this extent. Uh, so that yeah, that was apparently a he never actually went to like the TV or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. So you know, there's some issues, you know, with that. And some people are bigger on that. I'm, I'm in the middle. Like, if you can do it the way it happened in real life, just do it. You know, um, don't just sometimes the people will change things for what seems like an arbitrary reason. Details, you know, that you didn't need to change, and yet you changed them anyway. And there really doesn't seem to be a reason why you would change it. Like, it doesn't even feel like the change was a good thing, you know? Like, you could have just kept it the way it was, and it would have been at least the same, maybe better, but it's certainly no no worse than your change was. So Yeah, it made it seem like Paul had a hold on Freddie. When really, Freddie was just kind of allowing everything to happen. And they should have focused on that a little more because the onus should have been entirely on Freddie for not, you know, he just kind of cuts everybody out and only listens to Paul. And, you know, even if Paul took advantage of that, Freddie still has to take responsibility. Correct. Right. Exactly. Uh, there's some, some other things in this movie. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about this movie and it's it okay so this movie is more or less your conventional biopic okay especially when it comes to a movie like this where it's about like a band or a musician or a, a musical act of some kind so it it's they're clichés for a reason you know like the hard parting lifestyle of rock stars and the bands break up and then they get back together those are all clichés cuz they happen all the time I I know that I I like this I like the story generally, but I also remember feeling like I remember wondering if maybe they could have done something different with this movie. So I wanted to reference a different biopic that came out a few years ago, and I'm not saying that they needed to go this route specifically, but there's a movie that came out a few years ago called Steve Jobs. And it starred Michael Fassbender as Steve Jobs. And the way this movie um, was structured was instead of, you know, doing the standard biopic, which would have started out with maybe Steve Jobs in college, and then we just kind of move, you know, from that point up until a certain period of time, like maybe him coming back to Apple back in the late 90s, and just kind of following this trajectory. Instead, what that movie did is that it actually was three different nights in Apple's history, okay? And they all were behind the scenes. 
So uh, the day when they were unveiling the Apple II, that was a big deal. And so there's a lot of this behind-the-scenes drama, which has been confirmed by a lot of people. And so we see that. And then we see, you know, 10 years later and behind the scenes. So we don't even see what's going on on stage because at the end of the day, that's not important. What we see is everything that's going on in Steve's life behind the scenes. Then 10 years later, same thing. These, But these are all pivotal things that happened in his life. And while I'm not saying that that would have been specific the thing to do here, like let's show three different knights in Queen's history. I do wonder if maybe they could have found a way to instead just kind of follow this very linear, um, kind of just gradually see this band change over the course of 15 years and they're gradually see their stories and what happens to Freddie. I wonder if there would have been a way in which they could have structured this a little differently so it didn't feel like it was such a a standard biopic formula. Like, have you ever seen the movie Walk the Line? Yes. Okay. So kind of similar there. You know, if you look if you watch Walk the Line, the performances are fantastic. They are. They're they're really great. Uh I think you know, Joaquin Phoenix is great and um Reese Witherspoon's great. Uh, they deserved all the praise and the accolades that they got for that movie. But if you watch the movie, it's a lot like this. It, it's very similar. It, it's just start out here and move on either to the end of their careers or to a very specific point. And I wonder if they could have been a little more creative in finding a way to show something like that. Like, wouldn't have been cool to see maybe... um you know, five or six very specific moments in Queen's history and really fill each one of those specific moments with as much depth and drama and character as you could and and maybe see how that would have played out. Um, I'm not saying that this was the, the way, not the way to go. I just wonder if there was a different way to go about it to make it so it didn't feel like a formula that we've seen so many times, I guess, is the question. So this is like the the Star is Born formula. In a lot of yeah, ways. like I think, I think a different structure would work if this was a Freddie Mercury movie, but because it's a Queen movie, I think there was just you have a handful of characters that you need to focus on. It might have been too difficult to you know, change up the structure that they needed to keep it like going year to year. Because you don't just have the band, you have the band's lawyer and manager, and you have Mary and you know several and Paul and other like side characters. It's not just like you're focusing on one person, you know. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. I, I still think that might have, they could have found a way, uh, maybe to do it. But but all things considered, they did have a lot. Do you think that there was too much story in a lot of ways? Like they almost bit off more than they could chew. You're you're stuffing 15 years into two hours and 15 minute runtime. The only thing that dragged for me was the Paul stuff. <laughs> I was just like, okay, we get it. You know, he's a bit of a snake. You know, he fires like the manager. And then it's just like, you know, miss call, miss call. And, you know, no one's heard from him. And he's just like kind of in this like lonely state filling his house with random people 
And it just, it kind of went on too long, like Paul being this villain. And then even it extends past, you know, after he leaves Paul to Paul being on TV and like saying all these things about him. It's like, okay, you know, we, we could dial that back a bit. Like we didn't need to see like 20 minutes of this. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I think that they could have found a different way. I don't even know how much Paul mattered in this movie. You know, I feel like they could have gotten to the same place without Paul at all. You know, Paul was was a bad influence. Why, you know, couldn't Freddie just have decided to fire, you know, his manager in the car and then fallen in with some people? Or if Paul was a factor in this movie or any kind of a presence, maybe make, you know, Paul somebody on the periphery. Not that not that big a deal. And certainly yeah. not the mustache twirling villain that I felt like he kind of <laughs> was in this movie. He really what kind of felt it like totally that? was. You know, it's just like I'm manipulating Freddy. I'm manipulating the whole situation, and this is all gonna work out in my favor. Yes. Mm-hmm, you know, very. it just it felt yeah, it felt a little too cartoonish, to be honest. But I feel like the movie was bad be- honestly at its best when it focused on Freddy and I got to tell you, where the movie to me really, really hit its stride was the final 20 to 25 minutes. The Live Aid concert? Not just the Live Aid. The Live Aid was fantastic. I mean, it really was a way to end this movie. But, you know, it's it's Freddy um, after he fires Paul, after right after he meets the band and he asks for their forgiveness. From the moment, from that scene to the very end of the movie, that was the movie at its absolute best. Yeah, because you know it, they're portraying it as Freddy, f- pretty much finding and accepting himself. And when he does that, you know he can he doesn't have to depend on the people around him. He can just exist with them and be a family. Right. I think obviously at that point he had put his ego to the side, mm-hmm. which exactly. I guess is the point. And I get all that. The early stages to the mid stages of the movie, there was a lot of jokes, um, a lot of humor, and those are those are fine. I, I like the jokes and the humor generally, but there were times I felt like there was a little too much, and it, it's always a fine balance between trying to inject some humor into a movie that could be a little more serious, I think, at times, and should be a little more serious. And I kind of wonder what this movie would have been like if it wasn't PG-13. Mm-hmm. You it know? was PG here. PG, right. And and I think that's a little bit of a, a problem. I know one of the things that was a big issue with Sasha Baron Conan was that he felt like they were kind of sanitizing Freddy's life a little bit. And I think that they kind of did that here. Obviously, with the PG-13 rating here, you can only go so far. You can only show so much. And I wonder if... If that was a factor in, you know, maybe not going farther than they could have. Like, if this was rated R, they could have shown more of the excesses in which Freddy found himself in that allowed us to maybe see exactly how, you know. I don't know if I'd want to see that, though. And his, like, he was, of course, very young when he passed away. His parents are probably still alive. And going to watch this movie, so I, I, I don't. I don't well, I don't. I don't need to see like Freddie naked. I don't need to see him, 
you know, necessarily like in bed with having a fifteen way orgy. No, like I, I don't want to see anything like that. You know, but I wonder if just an ability to show a little more of the warts and all of their life, not just Freddie's life, but Queen itself, right? Like, I'm, I understand wanting this to be like a movie where it's kind of like a celebration of Queen, which I get. But if you're telling the story of the band, you should you should tell the story of the band and try to show it in as much of an accurate and honest light as possible. If you're not going to do that, that can be a little bit of a problem because then you there's like you try to paint Freddie and the other members in a in a light which is maybe a little nicer than they probably were or you know when you know full well that Freddie was doing a lot more behind the scenes than we'll ever know. And there's rumors and everything. And that's fine. And I understand that you don't want to see all that. But at the same time, I wonder if a harder rating simply would have given them the ability to maybe ring out a little bit more of the darkness in this movie, which I feel like could have balanced out a little bit of that comedy. Because there's a little too much comedy in the first half of the movie and I wonder if they've been able to kind of like balance that out a little more with some darker moments that really showed maybe more of the pain that Freddie was going through maybe more of the fighting that the band got into you know some of the verbal fights you know they could have really you know a screaming session which I've read story after story about some of the screaming matches that they would get into in the recording studio you know or just out of nowhere, you know. Even before, even they go out before they go out on stage, they're in like behind the stage. They're like in a full on fight five minutes before the the curtain or before they got uh, on stage, getting ready to perform for everybody. So, I just wonder if maybe that would have helped to add a little more of that to the movie. I realism. guess, yeah, the realism. I guess is I definitely think I would agree that you know if I adding more to the band, giving you a more like realistic, like these are four guys that have to spend the majority of their time together. They're going to fight a lot. I think bringing that to light would definitely, I, I think that would be a good idea. Um, I do like the way they kept the darkness of you know, his sexuality, especially in the beginning, you know, they kind of leave it up to your imagination. Like when they first, like he looks at guys going into the bathroom at the gas station we still don't know if he went in there. They kind of left that out there that he may or may not have. And it's like that through the whole thing, you know, um, just kind of when he, you never know when he's going, when he's doing something that he shouldn't be doing. And it kind of leaves it up to your imagination. You know what I mean? I, I like that aspect of mm-hmm. it when, when it, when it's with referring to his sexuality, kind of keep that in the closet, leave that up to our imagination. <laughs> yeah. And I understand that. Um, let's talk about the director a little bit. So Brian Singer is the director for this movie or was the director for a good portion of this movie. So there's, um, you know, the story went down that, uh, Dexter Fletcher, who was the guy who came on after they fired Brian Singer, who, uh, was, who had completed, I think would they say like all but two weeks, two or three weeks of filming. So 
Brian Singer was fired because he had some weird onset behavior. He was always showing up late, or not always, but he was, you know, showing up late. Uh, he was getting into fights with a lot of other people on the production staff, and apparently, um, you know, there were some other off the, you know, behind the camera things going on with allegations uh, of sexual misconduct misconduct and everything going on so he was fired and dexter fletcher who had a part of the, uh this project actually he was set to be the director you know a few years ago um came on board to finish the shoot and then they had ultimately did some reshoots uh as well so brian singer did direct you know a good chunk of this movie certainly i think a majority of what we see but dexter fletcher also came on and i think did an admirable job yeah, I mean, he's got great credits, too. I mean, I couldn't notice that there were reshoots or anything like that. So, obviously, he kept it fairly seamless. Oh, I thought so. Yeah. yeah. I thought, they, I thought they, they did both did a great job. I think Brian Singer is definitely, um, you know, a good director for this material. And I felt like he managed to, to really do a good job. Although, I know he and Remy Malik got into some arguments. So Of course. Um. Yeah, it's interesting. But anyway, you know, this movie, uh, it's it's got a lot of fantastic elements to it. But I think ultimately, um, I think I just, you know, I just realized we didn't do our one-sentence review. Oh, I know. We went right over that. We're just like so Sorry. Excited. Yeah, so we apologize if we got to do our one-sentence review. Anyway, um I didn't do any of that normal stuff I do. I was so like wanted to just jump in and I know we didn't even do the rundown. I don't Man, know. that's like the first time I've never done that. Alright, I'm gonna do it right now. So uh so for the rundown, most of the way through this whole review, uh, hmm, is uh release date was November second, twenty eighteen. It was written by Anthony McCartan and Peter Morgan, who originally wrote like he wrote the first script for this, and I think it was taken over by Anthony McCartan. Uh it was directed by Brian Singer with an assist by um, Dexter Fletcher, and a runtime of two hours and 15 minutes, a budget of $52 million. Thus far, a box office of $55.4 million domestic, $94 million foreign, with a grand total of $151.4 million thus far. So it also stars Rami Malek, Tom Hollander, Aidan Gillen, Lucy Boynton, uh, Gwyn- Gillen, oh, sorry, Gillen Lee, and... Uh, ben Hardy, as well as Joseph Mazzello. So there you go. Sorry about that. Yeah, that no, was like, no. I was like, that's never happened before. I, I just, <laughs> I guess I was so excited to just jump in and start, you know, talking about, you know, this, uh, the spoiler section and really get into the movie that I completely blanked. Uh, be honest, I'm, I'm a little tired too. So, I mean, not trying to use an excuse. I'm just, I'm exhausted today. I've just, Sounds like an excuse. I've been burning the midnight oil, people. So, (laughs) all right. So anyway, um, you know, but I think, you know, they did a lot of good things in this movie. I think they showed a lot of the darkness uh, that was in Freddy's life. I think they they showed how difficult it was to be his bandmate at times. He would show up late. He would be intoxicated. He would be under the influence of some drugs. Um, And that caused a lot of problems with the band. Oh yeah, like how could it not? 
I mean, it's not something that I think um, most people would understand or know how to deal with when it comes to like being in a band because you need to show up on time. You need to be on stage when you're supposed to be there. You need to show up to the recording studio when you're supposed to be there because you're paying for that. You know, that's you're paying good money for the recording studio. So, you know, you got to show up and actually do the work. And sometimes, you know, when ego um, egos start clashing, and in this case, it was Freddie in his, you know, blossoming ego, uh, not to say he never, you know, did, well, put it this way, he did that quite a bit right from the get go. You know, he kind <laughs> of like made it known, like, I know how good I am. I'm a good singer. You know, uh, he certainly had a lot of confidence in his abilities. Yeah, that he had no problem with. No problem whatsoever. So, yeah. So, look, I mean, I like the the stuff for the most part in this movie when it comes to the plot. Some of the lines were like, oh, um, but on the whole, I felt like that the movie did a good job with charting 15 years of this band and more importantly, I think, Freddie's life. Um, is there anything else that you want to add to this uh, breakdown of the movie? Yeah, you know, we've talked about some negative things too, and but I do want to say, like, on the whole, mm-hmm. I mean, the movie is very powerful, and it almost diminishes any kind of inaccuracies or, you know, moments that you may not have liked. They're almost like completely abolished because of how like amazing some of the other scenes are, and the writing of some other scenes is just you know, it takes your breath away sometimes watching, and it's. A wonderful watch so yeah that's my two cents <laughs> oh i totally I, I understand i i look i said i think i said it in the non-spoiler section um the good things about this movie far outweigh the bad things exactly it's true i mean it really is i mean look yeah uh, i think brian singer did a, a fantastic job um and obviously fletcher did a great job too the performances are fantastic uh, I thought the cinematography was good. Um, I thought that um, you know the the wigs, the clothes, the the practical um, stuff that you see in the movie with like the costumes, the outfit, the mustache, there's the prosthetic teeth, all the stuff that they had the actors wear in order to make them look as much like the char- the, the real life counterparts, the the people that are either still alive or have passed away, like Freddie. It's a fantastic job. They did as much as they could possibly have done to make these actors look and feel like their counterparts in real life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there was a lot of love and passion put into this movie and you can absolutely see it and feel it when you watch it. I know we've been nitpicking a bit, but I just want to make it clear to everyone that we adore this movie and we think it's phenomenal. So did what do you want to... Uh, do you next you want to talk about live aid the live aid the final scene in the movie sure that was okay. a powerhouse performance so it was um it was well put together it, the the execution was really excellent and so uh, i think i'm trying to think how long did they say it took them to shoot that scene it took them i think it took them a few weeks to shoot that entire really? sequence yeah, and then of course the special effects and everything—they had to, you know, they brought a whole crowd in um, for Wembley Stadium. Now, 
not as many as you see. What they did was they they had duplicated them. Yes, they had you know thousands. I think they had some thousands of people there, and then they duplicated them. But it looks and it feels like 1985, you know, in Very. that scene. But the energy, you know, the energy that Rami Malek brings to all of the scenes in this movie when it comes to especially the concerts, anytime they were on tour, anytime you see him on stage, strutting around uh, on stage, just the energy he brought, uh, I think Freddie brought, and of course, in this instance, Rami Malek brought, uh, it was just amazing to see, and no better than that live aid live aid performance. There was a there was a poll done uh, a couple times, but I know the most recent one voted Queen's performance at Live Aid as the the greatest. What they say was the greatest stage performance or something like that of all time. Uh, yeah, I can like completely believe that, and I love that in the show. It was a really nice touch that the Live Aid performance, the two jumbo screens on either side of the stage were showing the real Freddie Mercury singing. I thought that was a great touch. Yes. Exactly. Yes, that was a great touch. It really was. Because you barely notice it doesn't detract from the movie at all, but it's nice that it's there. Yeah, it was just like you could just see him right over there and it was it was it was well done. I thought it was good. Very. So um Yeah. I mean, look, it's just, it's a good movie. And Rami Malek deserves an Oscar nomination. Oh my God, yes. Like, times 10. <laughs> I, I thought, like, you know, like I said earlier, he put a lot of time and effort into this role, and it shows. You feel like Freddie Mercury is a real character. You almost feel like it's him. It, it's that close. Um, this is a game changer for Rami Malek. I'm just saying that right now. Like he, oh my god, yeah. He's on. He was on. Uh, is on or yeah, is on Mr. Robot, and he's fantastic in that show. But this is the movie role that is going to change his life forever because I feel like he's going to get an Oscar nomination. He's going to get offered so many more roles after this has come out that I think his star is going up big time. Oh my god, because I I still remember being a teenager and seeing him in a little bit part on Gilmore Girls. And now he's just this, you know, incredible, like presence embodying Freddie Mercury. I mean, it's just, it's incredible where he's come to. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, um, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, I don't know what else to say here. So they even nailed his parents. Like they showed a picture of his oh, real yeah, yeah. parents after identical. Okay, you know, here's okay, I'm sorry to do this. Big I there's something else I want to kind of nitpick. Okay. Um, <laughs> I brought something up. Okay, so the the relationship between him and his parents, you know, I think the setup to all that was very well done. And there's okay, this this kind of comes down to a little bit of an editing editing issue that I have. You know, when you edit a movie, a TV show, anything, you have to be very careful with how you edit. And there's I'll give you an example. There's uh, late in the movie. All right, it's uh, after Freddie informs his dad that he's doing Live Aid and that it's going to benefit all these people. And so he kind of says the same lines that his father had said to him as a kid 
about basically, you know, doing good and, and basically helping other people, really. Yeah. Um, and he and his father embrace, and I thought that's a really touching moment. But then his dad turns to, the, to his wife and says, turn on the telly. Yeah. Like, okay, fine. Uh, and then we get to the Live Aid concert, and there's a, a scene um, with his family, and it's just it, – it just sometimes the way they edit very specific moments, the movie doesn't handle those scenes very well. They come off as a little cheesy, as a little corny. Um, just in the editing process, just the way that the edit is and – how we've, you know, we, we got to cut to his dad's face and, you know, he's smiling or crying. And it's not that that in and of itself is a bad scene or that the character shouldn't be doing that. It's just that if you don't edit it in just the right way, it doesn't come across in the way in which they, I think the, they intended it to put it that way. If that makes yeah, any sense. Yeah, I think sense. they they intended it to be, you know, um, he's on stage and his entire family is around him. He's got his band, Mary and um, Jim. And, then and they're all staring at him watching. and they're all like crying and like, yeah, it, if, if you handle it in just the right way, it can feel very uplifting and you can, you can feel what they're feeling. And I did. But I also, it's sometimes it's like when you see that and you've seen it so many times in other other movies, and you're just like, do they have to do it this way? You know, like I I think like it's like I said earlier. There's a difference between being on the nose about something and hinting at it and being a lot more subtle about it. And sometimes in this movie. My biggest problem was the ways in which they would kind of be on the nose about very specific things, mm-hmm. uh, specific moments, moments that I felt like could have landed better if they didn't make sure that, <clears throat> you know, that they were, it's not just that that scene is important or that line, you should know that line means something. It's that they're telling you because they have... It's like the scene in, uh, I want to say, is it like Looney Tunes or something where there's like neon signs, but there's 8 billion and they're all pointing to a little dot on the screen, like with like flashing lights and neon lights and everything. It's kind of what they were doing sometimes in this movie where just letting themselves do the scene and edit it in just a way, such a way where it's a lot more subtle, but we get it. But instead it's like, they're hammering you over the head with like, this is really important. This is really moving. You know, like you should be really moved by this. Uh, the, the, the dad's crying. Like, let's stay on his face for an extra two seconds because we're afraid you might not get that. You know, <laughs> like it, it's, um, I don't know. I, it's, it's a little nitpick. I'm, I, and I'm, I apologize for doing that, but it's just, it's one of those things I felt like we could have done a little better. To be fair, we are above everybody else on the planet, and they might not get it. <laughs> just kidding. Apparently, yes. <laughs> what she said, and everyone just turned the turned the podcast off. <laughs> I was like, well, someone's got a little too big for their britches. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Sarah. So, what? Why don't we get down to our grades? All right, let's all right, do it. all right. Let's do it. Um, 
So, uh, script, uh, pros and cons. Uh, I think, you know, the pros with it, I think it's a, overall, for the most part, I think it's a pretty solid script. Uh, I think it, it dives into Freddy's insecurities. It dives into his loneliness and how all that wealth and all that fame and all that money couldn't fill the void that he had in his own life. And I think uh, the Live Aid performance is a showstopper. I think that that's fantastic. Uh, the movie does a good job of balancing Freddy's life and his depiction of all the struggles he was going through with his band and their struggles as a group. Um, those were all great. And I think that the characters were three-dimensional. Uh, those were good. Yeah. The cons are that I think, like I said earlier, the script it follows a very standard, very cliched rise, fall, and rise again storyline that you see with a lot of bands. Uh, it feels, I think, like 15 years is a lot to pack into two hours and 15 minutes, especially when you've got to set the story up and all of that. So I feel like they could have done a little better with maybe paring that down or finding a little better well, uh, way to streamline some of that a bit more, but um, and like I said, some of the lines and some of the moments uh, didn't land for me. Uh, but overall, I think the script is pretty solid. I'm going to give it an eighty. Oh yeah, um, I totally agree with you on all those pros. Um, yeah, I think that it does a really good job in making you know you feel the most for most part of the emotions and you feel involved in the movie and you feel like their passion. And, you know, there's a lot of really brilliant lines in this and uh, for the cons, you know, we've kind of discussed them. There's some oddball comments that don't quite land or are borderline cheesy or cringy, but I think on the whole, it does a really amazing job of just, embodying you know the lifestyle of freddie mercury who he was and you know everyone around him i think they did a really good job in that um you know i gave it a 90 okay all right it's uh that's definitely a good grade <laughs> uh all right well, let's move on so we're gonna go to acting uh standout performances <laughs> yes um I think Rami Malek and Lucy Boynton in particular were fantastic. Rami Malek, obviously, he he was the showstopper in this oh, movie. Yeah. Uh, but I think Lucy Boynton, um, great job. I think it's a t- it's a tough role, tougher than I think people might think. And if he had sh- if she didn't if she didn't really nail that role in just the right way, it could have come across pretty bad. Um, or or just been forgettable, you know. Yeah. And I think she managed to make that role important enough. Uh, bad performances? Um, no, not really. I think everyone is good in this movie, and I also think that. Uh, I think you know Mike Myers, you know, wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen him do. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I th- I think everyone did a great job. I think everyone – I mean, even the characters I didn't like, I felt like could have been written better. Like Paul, that would have been a negative in the script by far. 
Yeah, I'm going back to script. Uh, Paul, uh, villainous mustache, must mustache twirling Paul. Um, yeah, yeah, he's definitely a con there. Uh, but yeah, anyway, yeah, it's just great, and you know, everyone does at the very least a solid job, if not a great job. And Malik and Boynton really stand out. So for me, it gets a 93. Very high praise. Uh, I can't agree more. I mean, Rami Malik, he's just, he truly embodied Freddie Mercury. And he did it without making him over the top. You know, he honored that role. And I think that's really important. And uh, he really, really deserves an Oscar nomination for that. Um, I, I, there's no bad performances in this movie. Um I can't think of anybody who did a poor performance. And I think even like the band members, you know, Mary, uh, the freaking lawyer and band manager, I mean, everyone you know, had their part and they did it really well. And I, I, no one did a poor performance uh, for the first time ever. I gave acting a hundred. What? Wow. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yep. Holy cow. Who knows if it'll ever happen again? You know what? If we ever, if we ever, if we ever review One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, then you might, I love that you, movie. you better be willing. It might, we might want to be pulling that hundred out. <laughs> um, considering that yeah. Jack Nicholson and uh, dang it, what's her name? Um, God, Lu- I know um, who you're talking about. <laughs> Louise, Louise Fletcher. Um, dang it, I can't remember her name. Anyway, yeah, like they won Oscars, and I think there was like four asking or four. Uh, Oscar acting nominations, I believe. So, anyway, uh, moving on though, there's other things to get to here. Not talking about <laughs> one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Anyway, uh, directing. So, I think that Singer did a really good job here. There's enough uh, visual flourishes in this movie to kind of give it some pizzazz, and I think he also manages to direct it with some real energy too. Yeah, um, definitely. Given the band, given what this is, and given that Freddie Mercury is kind of the most important character in the movie, you've got to find a way to give this some energy. And of course, that goes hand in hand with editing and all that stuff. I get that. But I just feel like uh, he managed to infuse it with some good energy. Um, yeah, look, it, it, it feels polished and energetic. So I'm going to give it an 85. High praise. Um, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Especially, you know, high energy. That's exactly what I feel, too, is that, you know, he got the tone of energy right in so many of these scenes. You know, whether it be, you know, the band's fighting and you kind of feel that or, you know, their performance just kind of like blows you away. Like, it's just it's fascinating to watch, even when they're not talking they're just singing like it's it's completely fascinating and that's you know there's some really amazing shots done and i think that's really good directing whether or not you know it was brian singer or dex dexter fletcher yeah yep dexter yep dexter fletcher yeah you can't tell if there's been two people working on it's very seamless so i gave it 90 okay 90 all right I don't know how I'm grading this higher than <laughs> I. You know what? I think I've actually become more critical over time. I know, right? I have. I think I've been more critical. I, I don't know if it's just it, 
you know, it's just, it, I, I feel like, um, as someone who's been watching so much stuff, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like I have more to complain about maybe, <laughs> which feels terrible. <laughs> an older cranky man <laughs> just <laughs> complains about everything <laughs> young, in my day. <laughs> young whippersnappers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Um, all right, so let's move on to uh, special effects and makeup. So, look, I mean, I think that the special effects were really good. You know, take a look at the Live Aid sequence, and that is something that will blow you away right there, that alone. Um, but on top of how well I think they looked, I think another thing to remember is that the practical effects, the hair, the makeup, the prosthetics, the, the fake teeth – the clothes, all of that. I mean, to do all that makeup and the hair and all that. I mean, those are all practical effects. Those are really well done. It feels like the seventies, you know. Everyone yeah. looks and feels like their seventies or eighties counterparts. Um, the 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 cars that were they were driving, all of that. I mean, it all feels like the era or eras that they're uh, they're in. So for me, special effects gets a ninety one. Oh, very high. Um, I'm in agreement with all the practical effects. I mean, those were wonderful. I mean, the hair for Rami and um, as as he progresses through like the different stages of Freddie Mercury from long hair to short hair, you know, it's all done very well. You know, and and of course the band as well. I mean, they look damn similar to the real versions. Um, so those are really good practical effects. I had little issues with the Live Aid special effects, the CGI. Oh, I you could, didn't think it was that that good? I thought it was good, but I could tell okay. it was CGI. So that was my only little problem. But other than that, I think everything was phenomenal. Um, I give it 85. Okay. All right. Let's see. All right. So then... Um, Editing and pacing. So, uh, editing and pacing. All right. So, I think that for the most part, I think the editing is pretty well done overall. I did have some problems, like I said earlier, about just the way some moments were edited. I just I didn't feel like they got the the emotion I, I was supposed to get out of those moments. Um, mm-hmm. But on the whole, I thought it was pretty well done. Now, as for the pacing, the pacing to me at least felt all over the place. I mean, look, as a result of a 15-year timeline and the events that the the script had to cover, you know, the bands coming up with the songs, being inspired for this song and, and all that stuff – some time periods felt rushed while other time periods felt like they were kind of lingered on. Um, and that in, that in and of itself isn't indicative of bad pacing, but you have to spread your story out and you've got to do it in such a way that it feels consistently like it's moving along. And I feel like there were times where we just kind of weren't doing a whole lot plot wise and it was just kind of like lingering on scene after scene after scene where there wasn't a whole lot going on. And then, okay, now the plot's progressing, moving along. 
so it was kind of like a hit and miss at times. There were stretches that I thought were were excellent. I thought very well done. And then sometimes where I'm like, eh, I don't know. I feel like you guys got to cut this out, you know, or <laughs> condensed it or something. I just feel like it's not moving as quickly as it was. And it wasn't like a steady pace. Um, but anyway, overall, though, I mean, if you take the two together, I thought one was, for the most part, very well done. Another was okay. Um, so it comes out to an 86. That's very close, actually. Uh, I agree with you. Um, yeah, I think the editing was really good. I mean, there's only a couple scenes where you can kind of see where it's kind of weirdly edited, but on the whole, very almost unnoticeable. Uh, pacing is kind of like a roller coaster. That was my only like issue, especially when we get to like you know him being breaking from the band, going to seclusion with Paul, and Paul being you know the villainous you know twirling mustache guy. <laughs> uh, that was, it just kind of felt like it was kind of really screeching to a halt, and then it picks back up again in full force. Um, but yeah, it felt off. So I gave it eighty seven. Wow. 87. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So then the last thing is a rewatchability. So I think it's going to be pretty high. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my rewatchability for this is a, is a 93. Yeah. So it's just, it just, I love Queen. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, like I said, this movie is not perfect. I, I have issues with this movie. But nothing so big that I couldn't find myself sitting down and happily watching this again. And if you can do that, you find yourself a pretty darn good movie. Absolutely. So just to me, this movie really stands out as something that is um, maybe our scores are going to be much higher than other people's, which that's fine. You know, Um, we're we're better than anyone on the planet, like we said. (laughs) It's just it. It's the nature of it's the nature of criticism, you know. It's it's how we we are. Some people love movies that others be like, "How can you love that movie? It's terrible." But it's like how yeah. I'm obsessed with the Labyrinth, and Rake thinks I'm absolutely insane. <laughs> he he'll say that till the day he dies. <laughs> that might be on his tombstone. Um, actually, Labyrinth a, still sucks. Yeah, is a parting <laughs> message to you. Um. So yeah, anyway, but it's just the way it is. And it seems like we both really like this movie a lot. Yeah, I think we could definitely agree on that. So I'm in full agreement with everything you said. I gave it a 95. And that's high praise from me because my rewatchability is like, how many times do I think I'm going to watch this in a year? Wow, that is pretty great, actually. Yeah. There's a 95% chance I'm going to watch this fairly soon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So after I got up our scores, mine comes out to an 87 and yours comes out to a 90. Wow. So they're actually fairly closer than I thought they'd be. Yep. Our our Freaking Geek score is an 88 for this movie. I think that's actually pretty right. You know, it's where it should be. And just let everyone know, I, I round down. By the way, I don't round up. Ugh, how could you? I do. Up? I round down. I, 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 it's one of those things I decided on very early on. Uh, I, it sounds weird, but it kind of keeps the scores. I think just a, a tad lower, which I want in a way. Um, 
that's why if it's like a 90 and an 87 and I have to average that out, it's not going to an 89, it's going to an 87. Or I'm sorry, an 88. So seven, eight, and nine, it's, it's going down to an 88. That's just how I do it. Because it, it comes out to a, um, an 88.5. So instead of going up to an 89, because I got to pick one or the other, I, I, I round down. So Fair enough. <laughs> so, But you know what? Hey, an 88, uh, that's pretty amazing. Pretty darn a good score. Uh, th- yeah. One of our highest. Uh, well, no. We've done higher. <laughs> uh, I, I still think, think Baby Driver was higher. I think we've driver. Oh, we we've had a lot higher. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Uh, uh, Infinity War is, I believe, Infinity War is still our highest grade, if I'm not mistaken. I think. I don't think I gave it that high of a score. I could check. I'm pretty sure. Oh. I, I think. I think our. I think our score is like a 93. I believe. Overall. Something like that. I could check. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, it's a good score though. I mean, look, an eighty-eight out of or uh, yeah, eighty-eight out of a hundred is certainly nothing to sneeze at. Right? Oh yeah. I mean, it it really is a good movie. And there's that. So I think it it's uh, about where it should be. I think in my eyes. Yeah. Here, just to give you some scores, Sarah. We gave Portergeist an eighty-seven. We gave Tucker and Dale an eighty-six. Um, we're too nice. <laughs> let's see. The oh, uh, I reviewed the gift, uh, with Jacob. We gave it an eighty-nine. Wonder Woman was an eighty-seven. Marie, Marie Antoinette was an eighty-eight. Uh, huh. Jacob and I reviewed Austin Powers. Uh, that was a ninety. Um, you reviewed Austin Powers. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie. Yes, we did. Anyway, uh, enough rambling on. So, yep. Thanks for listening to us ramble on about <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you'd like to let us know what you think about our reviews, you can certainly send in feedback. Uh, if you would like to actually go onto our website and rate the movies just like we do, according to our criteria, you can do so at freakinggeeks.com. Locate the uh, page for Bohemian Rhapsody, and then scroll down below. You can log in. You can then create. Uh, you create your account, log in, and then you're able to jump down there and uh, leave comments, write a review, rate everything like we do, and submit your review. And uh, we'll get back to you. if you if you do that. We will be on the website. I'll be on the website, and I'll be responding back to your comments, uh, oh, yeah. positive or negative. So, all right, we'll see you guys next time. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Freaking Geeks podcast. Be sure to visit freakinggeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com slash freakinggeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. Now, if you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanich. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at Labyrinth Rose or at Freak Geeks.
Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.